When I was a couple weeks short of my 70th birthday, I started thinking about my mother's mother, who lived to be 100, and her mother, who lived to be 102, and my father, who lived to be 90, longer than anyone we had ever heard of in his family. I began to think that maybe our generation could be the first to routinely live to be 100. When I talked about this at family dinner one night, my granddaughter, who was five, said, What are you going to do for the next 30 years, Grandpa? Hello, I'm Dr. Janet Price. And I'm Greg Kaloost. And we are Oldish. And this is our new podcast, Oldish. If you're Oldish or know someone who is, please join us every week for conversations amongst ourselves and our special guests about what it means to be Oldish in the 21st century. If you ever wonder whether you're getting old, you're Oldish. What are you going to do for the next 30 minutes? Hi, my name is Janet, and I am oldish. Hi, my name is Greg, and I am oldish. And today, we're meeting with my old friend, Dave Swarthout, who is also oldish. Dave and I were just reconnecting. We haven't actually seen each other in 40 years. We can't remember the exact last time, because that was 40 years ago. But Dave, Dave moved off and went to Alaska. We lived together in a big hippie house in Boston back in the late 70s. Um, and shortly after that, Dave moved off to, to Alaska. We kept in touch a little bit. And then when Facebook happened, we kind of got mm. more in touch. So we've had some communication back and forth and we use Facebook. I think like a lot of Facebook friends do, it's like I peek in every once in a while to see what Dave's up to. And Dave may peek in to see what I'm up to. And, and so we go on like that. So we want to welcome Dave Swarthout, who is currently somewhere. I don't actually know where you are, Dave. I'm in, I'm in Eugene, Oregon right now with my youngest child, my son, uh, Thule, who's now, I say my youngest son, he's 38. So, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> no, he's not young. He's getting older himself slowly. So I'm in Eugene. I'm in Eugene. I'm about, I will go back to Alaska for the summer, which is what I've been doing for the past 12 years because I've lived mostly in Thailand. I come back just for the summers because I have family here, grandchildren, sister, brother, kids. And of course, I've my past in Alaska draws me back to Alaska because it's just such an amazing place. I, I, and of course, Thailand, while I love being there, it's a very, very hot season right now. It's in the high 90s, humidity. It's not my kind of weather. I survive, but I much prefer being cooler than hot and sweaty, frankly. So that's why I come back also. So Dave, I've begun to learn a little bit about your illustrious life to date. <laughs> and, uh, the first, and I, so I want to hear more about that, but I have a question to kind of guide us is, do you, do you feel oldish now at this moment in your life? Yeah. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Because, because my body's given out. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't feel different inside. Of course, I feel like everything's groovy. I, I, I enjoy the things I do. I love to play pickleball. I'm into photography big time. I've always been into photography, but not at this level where I'm actually out there using good equipment that I've bought and, and can take some absolutely killer photographs. So those are things I, I look forward to that. I, you know, I, I, I really enjoy being in Thailand, doing birds, coming back here, visiting with my family going to Alaska. So I kind of do a lot of commuting. I'm thinking about not going back to Alaska next year. 
it's been, I had a company there. I started, helped, helped start a company about 27 years ago, a, a marine brokerage, which was a fabulous, fabulous partnership. It was a four-way partnership. Never had a fight, never had a disagreement between the four partners. Well, one of them died about four years ago. I retired. Another one retired. So now there's just one original person left. And I've sort of asked to be farmed, you know, be how you say, uh, disintegrated out of it. So I don't have to be part of it anymore. And they did that for me. And now I'm like, oh, my God, it was really it was more important to me than I thought. It wasn't just the money. (laughs) But that makes going to Alaska harder if you don't have a little income up there. It's expensive. So I'm probably going to stop going up there. But anyway, I'm in. So I'm in Eugene. I love being here. It's a lovely, lovely town. And I, I look forward to going back to Thailand in the fall. Well, it makes me think about your decision everything you were just saying about Alaska and wondering if that was an oldish or is an oldish moment that all that, like you weren't expecting the amount of feelings that you had around that and have. And another question I just want to throw in is, you know, do you have a sense of when you might feel old or like, do you think that that word will ever feel descriptive for you? Or do you feel like oldish is the path no, no i'm i'm definitely i, I mean oldish with sort of a, a jocular term but i definitely feel older than i used to be i mean i like i said i i got my i got a knee issue my hip hurts I and mean, i got all these little issues that just did that, that i was always just really strong and i ran i bicycled i bicycled 1600 miles in new zealand 10 12 years ago i mean you know i i i was fit i'm not so fit anymore i really can't run anymore and you know i don't have the uh stamina i used to have so that's pretty obvious i don't sleep well there's little things like that otherwise though my health is great i don't have any any big mental issues or anything uh i, I think that's the most the hardest thing for me in the past four or five years has been the political situation in the united states i I don't need, we don't need to go there, but I, I got depressed in night in 2016 and I've stayed depressed a little bit because of what, of what's happening that I feel powerless to change. You know, I mean, I'm, especially given that my situation where I'm all over the place and, you know, I, and you can't escape that going to Thailand, big deal. We have, we have the internet now we have, yeah. you can't escape the news. Uh, yeah. Even though I, even though I try to do that as best I can, because it was depressing me. So other than that, I I, I feel great. You know, I, I don't have any other other kind of issues except those physical ones that I think everybody has to suffer. When I, when Greg, we're talking with Greg a minute ago about those trips he made up on the Everest. I simply could not. I can't do that. If I start going up a hill, half mile, I'm done. Can't do it anymore. And that's sad to me. So there is some sadness about the oldish experience. Yes. Yes. It ain't all good. (laughs) And I, even what you were saying about politics, I feel like for all of us who are oldish, we're experiencing this right now from the perspective of years and years and years of, of when we were, you know, 
in our 20s, 30s, 40s, feeling hope, seeing change, and now watching it go backwards. There's this, a perspective there that we have being oldish. Well, the other thing, too, is that, you know, as the more I've read and the more I've done investigating and looked around deeply, I don't like I don't like the United States politics at all. I mean, I don't like our foreign policy at all. I don't like our attitude that we're that we think we can run things. I think it's really, really bad and detrimental to mankind, not to mention our own culture. I mean, we have a culture that we make weapons. That's what we do. You know, we make weapons and we and we sell them. We pre promote indirectly or directly, we promote war and unrest. That's our business. That's what we do now. It's not all we do, but it's a it's a major thing, and I, I just I just hate that. And does this feel different for you at this point in your life than it did when you were younger? Around absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Of course, you know, I grew up in the fifties. Things were nice in the fifties for for. I mean, people could own a home, they could own a car. My parents were were very not not rich at all. I mean, we my dad was a blue collar worker. He was a union president. Unions had some power to change people's lives for the better, I think. I mean, I'd made, maybe they went overboard. I don't know. Automobile workers were making big money, and that, you know, that might, might have been overkill in some way. But, yeah, and I feel like that workers don't have that kind of possibilities anymore. Two people have to work to get a house, at least. I, I, so for me, uh, same. And also, when I went to college, my college was paid for by my company. I worked for Xerox Corporation. I got a job at Xerox Corporation in 1963. They paid for my entire college. And how they did it was cool. If you got an A, they paid 100% of your tuition. A B, they paid 75%. A C, they paid half, which was the, the going rate at that time amongst companies, was they'd pay half your tuition. And if you got a D, they'd pay only 25%. So I did pretty well. I, I got good marks. I paid virtually nothing for a, for a bachelor of science degree. That's and amazing. that was zero. And, and not only that, I could study on the job. My boss said, listen, the exam, it's exam time. You can close your office door and study, get a good grade and get your degree. That's what, that was what important. And that nobody does that anymore. Or companies don't do that. Yeah, probably oh. some of those companies were a bit more like, um, family than than what they are now. You know the the that's changed that changed quite a while ago. And you know my father worked for the General Electric for forty years, and it was like home. It was like family. He, yeah, he, he'd almost it was probably less noisy than the family that he had at home. So I so think he went I think I've the office seen, a lot. I, I've seen people. I've seen you know video little montages of people like when the steel mills closed in buffalo buffalo and lackawanna that area that end of lake erie was just heavy industrial um, steel mills and they closed them down i don't know many years ago and they're those guys were crying like oh my god they've been, they've been there their whole lives their fathers had been there and that's yeah. i mean that's just that's just the reality of what we globalization or what i don't know exactly what but to see how how those people valued that job and that feeling of being part of something bigger than them that they were willing to contribute their time to. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sad. <clears throat> Think about the whole, the experience of community and how it feels like we've moved over time away from community. So the community that was created through the companies 
the community that was created in our neighborhoods, which is one reason why Greg and I wanted to make this podcast is bringing together the community of oldish people because, (laughs) (laughs) because we have this shared perspective and reality and history and the present of how life is and how it can be and how we think about it. Yeah. And we're, we're still, we're still in the process of defining what this word oldish means, Dave. We, we, you know, it's, it's kind of like, we're not done yet. We, you know, we're not elderly. Right. So, and I, I think, you know, comparing us to our, our parents' generations, you know, our, our parents, I think were many of them felt done when they were our age. Yeah. Um, no question, no and, question. Yeah. But it, you know, it, at an age at which my father was retired, and you know, pretty much wanted to sit around, you launched yourself off traveling and ended up in in Thailand as a as an oldish expat. I think you know you were. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that's if, one of the if things that told, I wonder about. You know, if you had that, told me, if you had told me back when you and I were living in the same house there that I would live in at that time, well, actually not at that time. It was called Siam. Yeah. Before before 1953, I think 53, they changed it to Thailand or somewhere in there. <laughs> if you had told me I would be in Thailand and married to a Thai woman, I'd say, are you out of your goddamn mind? Yeah. But here it is. And, that, and, and I love it over there. And she's cool. It's, so, you know. One of the reasons they live over there, of course, is because it's cheap. Okay, it's a, it's a. I have a, I rent an entire house, three bedrooms, two baths, two hundred fifty bucks a month. Wow! Whoa, I'm packing. Two fifty. I am two fifty. My 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 cell phone. I have a you know a cell phone, and I have fi- I have fiber, to my house. Fiber internet to my house costs about eighteen bucks a month. My phone's about thirteen bucks a month, and that's unlimited, you know, unlimited internet, strong internet all over the country. You know, electricity's eight or nine bucks. It's just crazy. The only thing that is expensive over there is gasoline, which, as it should be, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. gasoline's expensive. Eyeglasses are expensive. Uh, cameras and computers are not cheap, but everything else, that any food you want to buy, I can eat from the street markets with my wife for three bucks for a nice, a real nice dinner for two. If I want to go fancy to a nice Japanese restaurant with five chefs, it's going to cost me over like 15, 18 bucks for the two of us. That includes a beer for me. I mean, that's, that's what, and you're talking, here's these guys up there, sushi chefs, 16 bucks for for a meal for two. Fantastic. Wow. That's amazing. So it's amazing. Economically, the expat lifestyle is serving you well. Oh, yeah. Over there. I mean, if I was here living on Social Security and I have a little tiny pension from uh, the state of Alaska, I could I could live here, but it'd be touch and go a lot of ways. You know, I, I just I, a lot of things I couldn't have, couldn't do. I have a car over there, a motorcycle. You know, I'm, 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 I live pretty well over there. If I want to go out to eat... We can go anywhere we want. You know, if I, I can travel, it's it's not a big deal. Uh, I have enough money to do that. Here, it'd be tricky, you know. Even though I have I have decent retirement amount of money, I I get about I get about 
2000 about almost $3000 but here that's pretty borderline over there that's a lot of money yeah yeah that's one know. of the reasons that I'm thinking about I think I told you I'm in the process of converting yeah. the minivan to a camper to try to I'm going to go out and and get my toes wet and and check out the you know the the nomad life because it's yeah it's darned expensive um, yeah yeah well you know, you know that, that, that that's not the the nomad life also it's tricky because you can't just stop anywhere with your with your minivan and live or stay. You got to pay sometimes, or or find places off the you know off the beaten path. Alaska, if you lived in Alaska and you wanted a minivan around, you can camp anywhere in Alaska, anywhere, as long as there's not a no camping sign there. So every stream, every river has pull-offs. And you can pull your little van or your little, like I have an old, a little RV I live in now, uh, like a 20 foot long. It's a small Winnebago. I've got it fixed up as a man cave, you know, that's got, I've got a desk instead of a dinette. It's got a bed in the back. It's super comfortable. So I drive along somewhere, pull over by a bridge, pull down there, throw out my lawn chair, and of course, put on my um, insect repellent. And I can I can really be anywhere I want to be there. It's pretty cool, but you can't do that in most states. You got to you got to find a place to camp and and pay. Yeah, there's so. a turns out there's a I've been studying up, so it turns out that there's a lot of what they call boondocking, which yep. is essentially free camping, BLM land and stuff, BLM yep. lands, yep. national mm-hmm. forest lands, things like I've that. I've heard of that. Yeah, they're zero facilities, so it's not like you think of as a campground. Right, pull in and there's a tent site and uh, right, it's all right, set right. up with a table and electricity in a lot of places and so on and so forth. It's not like that. So you, you got to bring it with you and you have to, when you leave, you have to take it. In, you know, it's it's leave no yeah. trace. Uh, right, right, right. Even though you're in a vehicle, it's you know you can. I imagine you can leave tire tracks, but other right, than that, right, right, you're right. not supposed to leave much of anything. There's a lot of people out there living that way because you know on a fixed yeah. income, the cost of housing. In the states now has gone crazy, you know. Yeah, I, know. I, I know. I, I saw house prices in the town, little town that I live in, Maine. From the time that COVID started to now, have doubled. Wow! Yeah. Well, I know. I well, just the same thing happened in this area. My son and his partner fixed up a house that was in. She had. It was a house that she owned, but it was like a small two bedroom, nothing fancy right in the neighborhood here. And they were going to do it, make it into an Airbnb. And then of course COVID hit. So they put it on the market instead. There were people that were, they placed the ad. People would call up and say, I'll give you 30 grand more or four. I mean, they just, they just, they got, they got a lot of money for it basically. Cause it was in that time when people are tr- desperately trying to find housing. And, and this area is a de- desirable area, Eugene, because of the, the colleges here and stuff, you know? Yeah. So um, yeah, it's your real estate. It's crazy. I can't even imagine owning property anywhere. I just can't. It's not, not in my, not in my, within my reach at all. <clears throat> yeah. You know, okay. That's one of the reasons I'm thinking, I, I thought I was going to go live in my van, but I decided to keep my house for a while in case I don't like it. Cause, yeah, <laughs> cause sure. I couldn't, I couldn't sell my house. I live in, I live in, it's almost, well, it's not real attractive. Let's say I couldn't, I couldn't net enough from my house 
to change my mind later. Oh, well, you know, then I, I can afford to live in it, but I couldn't afford to take the money I sold from, you know, that I got from selling it. I couldn't afford to go and live any place else with it. Right. Uh, although I did figure out that I could probably subsidize apartment living. Yeah. You well, know, I so, think yeah. I, that's, that's always a possibility. I mean, even here, I just read a little article of cost of living places to retire on the West coast. And Eugene is one of the places that they recommend because you can still get an apartment, a one bedroom apartment here for about a thousand bucks a month. And that's unusual. Most other places, it's more like 1500 or even higher. So a thousand bucks, I could afford that out of my, out of my uh, income and still have enough money to buy food and get, you know, drive around and stuff and play pickleball or whatever. So that, in that sense, it's attractive. But again, the thing about Oregon, the thing that I really like about Oregon is the, the Oregon Oregonian politics, Oregonian views about drugs. And there's going to be, I don't, I don't have the details, but there was a, some recent legislation passed that basically decriminalized drugs for the most part. And, and what, they, what they've actually done, there's a mandate to allow the use of, in a state-supervised, I don't, I don't quite know how to put this, you're going to be able to get psilocybin, guided psilocybin trips in this state. And it's going to be not only, not only allowed by the state, but it, in a way subsidized. They're going to they're gonna make sure that there are people available to guide you and that you can use this service to treat PTSD, especially PTSD. They can use, people are using ecstasy, MDMA, and getting amazing results from these people that come out of Iraq and Afghanistan and they're just completely shattered. They can reconnect with the good things in life. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And I'm, the biggest decision of my life was made under the influence of a psilocybin trip. I had, I had visited, now you, you remember this, Greg, because when I was living at, when we were living in the same house there, I went on a trip to the Pacific. I went to Washington, Seattle. We had a roommate who had just come from there and she said, you'd love it. Go, go. I had a vacation come up. I was in school at night uh, doing computer programming classes. And Carol said, go out to Seattle. You can stay with one of my friends. And I did. And I fell in love with Seattle. I thought, oh yeah, this is, this is where I want to be. Look at this. This beautiful ocean. People were really friendly. And so I made plans to to go there and it took a few years, but eventually we were, I was ready to make the idea, make the start planning to go. And then one night, my girlfriend and I, and our, our good friend in the neighborhood, we did some psilocybin mushrooms together. And it was a beautiful night in New Hampshire. The, the stars were out and we're out in the field, just, you know how it is. You're just uh, hugging the trees and everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's just beautiful. The stars were pulsing. It was just, and I said, I don't want to go to Seattle. If I go to Seattle, I'm going to have to get a regular job. It's expensive to live there. And it is one of the more expensive places to live. Yeah. I want to go to Alaska. I read about it when I was a kid. And, and my gal said, yeah, yeah, we can do that. We, we, let's go to Alaska. So we started saving money and we ended up in Alaska under the influence. I'm Are not you? kidding. Yeah. That night was pivotal. And if you read about people's, psych their 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 trips their psilocybin experiences they almost always have good things to say about them they and they almost all 
they oftentimes have world uh, life changing things involved with that experience. Like with, like in my case, it's amazing. So that can happen here. And that's one of the reasons I think Oregon, if I was going to live anywhere in the States, it probably would be here. And, and largely because of that attitude that seems to be prevalent here. That's definitely a good attitude to, you know, to have open-mindedness and open-minded. The, the, the Pacific Northwest, I mean, I read somewhere not long ago that in, in Seattle now, instead of, you know, people are doing heroin, right? Instead of busting them, throwing them in jail, which, <laughs> let's face it, that's not fixing the problem. It's making it worse. Now the police come and say, listen, if you're ready to go to counseling, we can help you. Otherwise, here's some clean needles. Try to be safe. That's what they're doing. Not throwing people in jail. That's that's Seattle. That's a sort of a local initiative. But that's that's where it starts. Where we start realizing that people that are addicted to drugs have other issues in their lives that are making it hard for them to stay off of drugs. An, a person, a normal person with a good social connection and love in its li- in his life and and uh, responsibility. I've done heroin. I love it. And I, I mean, I don't go out and search it out, but I tried it and I think, wow, I understand why people like to do this. But I'm a, I'm a well-adjusted person with a lot of love in my life. I'm not going to become a freaking addict, but not everybody is that way. Yeah. But here's, a, here's an interesting segue for you. Seems like we share an addiction to pickleball. <laughs> yes. Well, the thing is, I can play pickleball, and yeah. I can't play tennis anymore. Well, Janet and I had a little talk about this before you came on, and I got a little clear. This pickleball, anybody can play. I tell people, you know, if you want to play tennis, you got to learn to serve. That's a very difficult. That is the most difficult thing. If you can't serve, you really can't play tennis. But serving at pickleball, get the damn ball over the net. That's all you got to do. Hit it yeah. lightly. Hit it high. Hit it hard. Whatever. Get it in the square. It's, it's easy. <laughs> That's why we play when we're oldish, you know. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I'm thinking another segue is we're talking about pickleball and we, the three of us share that that passion. So, Dave, I'm wondering what is it? What excites you at this point in your life as you? Are where you're at as you're looking ahead and thinking about at this point in our lives, can we be excited about what's next and what's oh, in our yeah. life? Well, I, I, I mean, for me, what what's exciting to me is seeing some seeing a place where I can uh, get. I'm 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 into this photography thing, heavy duty. I got a camera that I just paid four thousand dollars for just the body, and and I can track a bird. It'll lock onto the bird's eye. And as the bird's hopping around, it just fo- it'll stay. It'll focus on his eye the whole damn time. I mean, it's wow. amazing stuff. So I get excited about birding trips. Uh, I get excited about pickleball still, although not not to the same extent I used to be about tennis. So those are things I look forward to a lot. I still want to travel to some, although I again, uh, anymore, you know, traveling and the amount of time it takes to get places. You know, I spend twenty four hours in an airplane coming over here pretty much it's brutal so the travel part of it but i want to go to costa rica i want to so those those kind of things that that still 
turn my crank, if you will. When you were I, younger I, and you looked at, at your, you looked ahead at this point in your life, did you, how did you think about it as far as, did you imagine? How does, it, like, how does, it, how does any, how does any young person think? They don't think about it at all. <laughs> Other than, well, is that it's going to be over, that, that there won't be anything to look forward to or, you know. I don't know if, I don't know if I ever felt that way. I always thought, yeah, oh my gosh, it was so far away. We used to think about when the year 2000 came. Oh, what would that be like? The year 2000, that's long gone now, you know? So I don't know what, I, I, I will say this, the time when I'm just left to my own thoughts and my own mind, I seldom look ahead. Honestly, I look back a lot. I have a, I have all my, I have a huge collection of f- photographs from the past, my family, my vacations, my this, my that. I look at those and I go, wow, that was cool. That was cool. So my, my focus has changed from looking ahead to looking back. I'd say that's probably the, one of the biggest things that's happened that's different from different now from what it used to be like. I don't really and, look ahead so much. And if I put my psychologist hat on for a second, that is a piece that research has found around development at this point in our lives is that we start to look back and kind of pull everything together, make yeah. peace with our past, appreciate our past, notice our past and how, and be thankful. Hopefully I am. I am. T- I have had a great life. If I drop dead right now, I I've had a great life. I just, I've had, I've got a couple of regrets, but they're not serious. Yeah. Uh, I just, that's part of this right now too, for us is at this age and oldish is, you know, consolidating our lives, what's happened, what we have to let go of, you know, wanting to ride your motorcycle all over the world. And now you're have it in Thailand. So I'm just making that up. I don't know, but different goals that we might've had that we get to a certain point. It's like, okay, that's really just not going to happen. Right. Well, that's, that's when, when Greg talked about this thing going up Mount Everest, I mean, there, I, I cut my teeth, so to speak on hiking and backpacking in that, in the Adirondack mountains in New York. Beautiful. I, 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 I love those, that place, that whole area there. I can't go there anymore. I can't go up on top of Mount Marcy. I, I, when I first went up that mountain, I ran up it. It took me two hours or three hours. I just was, yeah, wow. Well, I don't know if I could get up to the top now, honestly. And so that's the that part is sad that that physically I'm limited. But I, you know, I have other I have other things I do. I have, I have a lot of mental things I do that I like. You know, I, I love reading and. Again, photography and stuff that keeps me keep me tuned in. I also um, just I just now went for a walk in a little park near here, and there was a bunch of foot trails on it that I mapped. I, I do a lot of amateur mapping for an outfit called Open Street Map. It's kind of like I describe it as the Wikipedia of the Google. Like instead of Google Maps, which is proprietary, all that information is owned by Google. This is open source, and you can do anything with the data. Anybody can come and make any kind of map they want using our data, and it's fascinating. So I mapped out all the trails, put all the bridges in, all the slipways to launch your boat, and it's it's just a lot of fun, and I enjoy yeah. it. So I'll, I'll go on my motorcycle. I got a GPS running on the handlebar, got a camera hanging around my neck, and as I drive past 
gas stations or restaurants or uh, intersections that have strange traffic controls. I snap photos of it. Then I go back and put it on the map. It's fabulous. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, because I've always loved maps, I can actually see my contributions. I can download the data. I have a special program I can compile the data to put it on my own GPS. So when I'm driving with my GPS, I'm looking at data that I put on there. And that's cool. That's That's pretty cool. cool. That is totally that is totally cool. I love that. So that's one of the things I do is I make these blasted maps. Used to take I'd sit here, I used to sit in front of the computer 10, 12 hours a day adding data to Alaska. So we have these high quality satellite images that we can then overlay with the national, what is it, the USGS topo maps that have all the names and stuff. So you trace in a river, add the name, trace in the glacier, add the peaks, add the mountain ranges, add the forest, add the this lovely hours and hours. I don't do that so much anymore now, but I, I was really into it for a while. Well, so, so the, 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 the picture of, of a guy riding around on his motorcycle Getting a kick out of seeing spots that that he put on a map. Map. Oh. That's that's oldish. That's that that's, is not that's... elderly. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that is some that is really cool. I tell you, I, and I've I've tried to inter- interest my friends in it. And when I say, "Look at this," their eyes just glaze over. I mean, people, <laughs> you either have that thing for maps and mapping, or you don't. And a lot of people just couldn't give a damn. They go on Google Maps, fine, shows me where I'm at. Right, you know, da da da. Me, I, I, I really like doing all that stuff, you know, putting in uh, park benches. And, and when I go to that park, I, I put those things on the map. I mean, it's just, I love it. Just great stuff. So that excites, that excites me. Yeah. And it sounds like something that has evolved as far as interest, but also that something is also new, if right. I'm hearing correctly. So, which I think is part of being oldish in a, healthy positive way is you know what excites us now what uh is in our lives that brings satisfaction and so it sounds like that's something for you i've i have a question about is there anything at this time in your life that scares you around being oldish i i have to say a couple this with photography for just a second it's my physical instability that scares me um I have this very expensive camera gear, and I originally started out wanting to be a landscape photographer. And that means the kind of person who goes to a waterfall and then looks all around it and tries to get the best angles and did take a photo. Well, if I'm walking around on a rocky creek bed, I can't do it. I mean, I'm going to fall down. And it's scary. Yeah. I was up on this. I was up on top of this waterfall a couple, three years ago, and I had a little you know, a little slip like that. And I thought, my God, if I fall in this, if I fall off this thing, I mean, people may not find me for a week, you know, I'd be down yeah. there broken. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that physical infirmity, such as it is, I mean, I can play pickleball, but don't ask me to walk balance along a balance beam. I can't do that. Balance mm-hmm. is tricky. I have to exercise. I do little, little things to keep my balance more or less intact. So other than that, though, no, everything else is fine. I don't have any big fears. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, other than just 
where am I going? Where what's out there? That's I have that question, and that's what I. That's one of the things I think I could be could help me with psilocybin. These psilocybin treatments I talk about. I think it's that's got to be in my future somewhere, for sure. Yeah, so you're really, talking about but, what's what's out there as in in addition to this physical yeah. life that we're in currently? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, not 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 that so much, but what what's coming down the road for me? I mean, I, I often wonder just how many more years do I have left? I'm pushing eighty. My my genetics, my family tends to be long lived. Although my dad died at age sixty. He he just wasn't he just he had never he wasn't healthy, smoked cigarettes. I mean he just he just didn't have a lifestyle that was good at all. His wife, my mom, lived to be ninety-seven. Her mom lived to be ninety-eight. I have an aunt who lived to be a hundred and six. So I figure my genes are good, as long as I don't get some devastating disease or something, I probably have 10, 20, possibly 20 years left. I don't know. That yeah, so that's one of our questions is, what are you going to do for the next 20 years? I think I'll find new things to do. Yeah. I got, yeah, motor, I, got, like I, got I got. trips in my mind. I'd like to go back to Africa and do it with a camera this time. I'd like to go to Costa Rica and look at some birds. You know, there's places that this birding photography thing is, it's, it's pretty involving. I, I really enjoy the hell out of it. You know, I, when I'm in Thailand, ah, the other part of that story about landscape photography so I realized I couldn't do landscape photography. And I thought, well, hell, look at there's butterflies here. A lot of butterflies in Thailand. A thousand, there's a thousand varieties, I think. Uh-huh. I started, I said, if you can't, if you can't shoot, shoot what you can shoot, you know, photograph what you can photograph. And so my focus changed from waterfalls and forest and landscape to birds and butterflies. And man, it's been just it's an inner so you shoot get a picture and you got to go look it up and i look it up find out what it is you know and that that keeps my mind i think active at least it's definitely an excitement that comes as you're talking about it yeah 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 yeah. oh i just yeah it's it's a lot of fun a lot of fun and of course i have to i have to admit too that i put i only post my stuff i'm not trying to make money at the i only post my stuff on facebook and of course, I really like it when people click the like button. Yeah, it's it's terrible to admit that, but that's that's true. I, I thrive on getting that positive that positive feedback motivates me to go and get more photographs. I do them for myself. I said I sit around here at night sometimes. I'm, you know, having a beer or something. I get into the photos. I start looking at all my five star photos. And I think, wow, those are cool. So, so there's that. That that's I've never been what I call a creative type. You know, I can't I, I can't paint or, or or play an instrument or anything like that. But by golly, I can take photographs, and I I sure enjoy that. Yeah, I've, I've been I've been looking at them for years on on Facebook, Dave, and they're they're really remarkable. And and there's there's a fair amount of creativity that goes into that. So don't sell yourself short on the yeah. On the no, I. Part. I think it's I think it's cool and everything, but that that so that is my creative my creative output is is finding and and finding these. I don't I'm not the kind of person that sits in a blind all day waiting for the the special bird to come along. I'm sort of an opportunist, you know. If it's there, I'll photograph it and I'll I'll go out and look. 
but I'm not going to spend five hours sitting in a blind waiting for a particular bird. I have been in blinds, and, and there's a lot of you can you can draw birds in that way. In fact, I was at this little spot, not a little spot, this wildlife refuge near here, and there's a there were a couple of ladies I ran into and started chatting with them. They said there's a sora here. That sora is like a little how'd you call it? It's like a it's a swamp bird. They have long legs and they eat worms and stuff, right? Sora. And I, I had never seen one. I thought, wow. I got my, on my, on my phone, I have a, this Audubon app that has bird songs in it. And I, I tried to attract them, right? So I look up Sora and I play it and I play a couple times and play it a couple of times. All of a sudden, off in the distance, I hear Sora. <laughs> <laughs> yes where are you baby come on over here <laughs> he didn't he didn't come over but the sound of it is just is totally cool i tell you so well i just wanted to say that you know what you were saying a little bit ago about being motivated by the five stars yes is being human and yeah. i'm thinking about how much we need that in our whole lives and including when we're oldish and that often i think when people are oldish, they're not feeling like they're getting that, that they're right. not know, knowing where people are seeing them and appreciating something about who they are in the world. So yeah. the fact that you have found that, that you do oh, yeah. that, get that feedback is, is very important. Human. It's very important to me. If I, if I put, if I put photos out there and my friends, people I really like and love and respect, and they say, this is great. Oh, that just, that turns my crank, you know, it works for me. It's really nice. <laughs> so I keep doing well, I know it. We're, I know we're heading towards ending. I wanted to ask if there's anything about being oldest that we haven't thought to bring up that you want to share. What am I thinking of? Not much. Have to. I think it's uh, getting, I have to, have, I'm trying to get a knee replacement. I've been trying to do that for a couple of years. That I think the only thing about, being old that I didn't anticipate and that I don't enjoy is this, again, this physical limitations. I'm not strong. I, I give you another example. I was up on the, on a, on the Denali highway last year. That's a 140 mile dirt road. It's just splendid scenery on every, on every, every time you, you look back and there's big mountains and glaciers to this side. And that, well, anyway, ran into a fella up there who had rented a very expensive RV in Anchorage and driven up there and the hydraulics blew out on him. He had no brakes and no steering. So he's basically stranded. So he hitchhikes back to uh, the, the last lodge about 30 miles down the road. And he gets on the phone, says, listen, you guys, I'm paying big money for this thing. Get up here and fix it. And I thought to myself, now, what if that happened to me in my little RV? I can't even lift the tire. If I if my front wheel had a flat, I can't lift the I can't really physically I probably could struggle with it, but lifting the tire off and putting the new tire from up on the roof on, I'm not sure I could even do that. Honestly, it's just it's kind of beyond me. So other than that, other than that, no, not so much. Well, it seems like you it seems like you have a, a kind of an attitude about continuing on with adjustments you know you make adjust you make an adjustments yeah. as, as you go along but you haven't stopped dancing you know and you're no 
And nope. you know, the, the picture that I have is that you're kind of swirling and dancing, you know, through your life. And, and, you know, you talked about artistic expression, but you're the way that you're living your life right now is a real expression of who you are that, you know, all of the stuff that you're talking about, the, you know, living in Thailand, going, t- taking pictures, doing the mapping, you know, road <laughs> trips, all of that stuff. You know, it's like you're, you're, you're really painting a hell of a picture there, Dave. The the reason we went to Alaska was kind of that we thought we'd live off grid, you know. And I, I thought I wanted to do that. And of course, when you've been raised the way we have with electricity and running water and everything, it's a big adjustment. But we ended up, Karen and I, you know her as Karen, KJ, Thule's mom. Yeah. We, we, she, we had a baby in the middle of the woods in a cabin, no running water, no phone, no nothing. And it was an, um, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And I bonded with him instantly. I was there during with, for his birth. We had midwives. I mean, it was just freaking outstanding. But we left. We couldn't live in the I could not live in the woods. I can't live in the woods because I need people. There are people who live out in the goddamn boondocks in a little cabin by themselves man, I can't do that. I got to talk to, I got to have people. I got to chatter with them. I got to goof off with them. No, no, I, I can't live alone. <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> so that was something I couldn't do, but we had that, we had Thule out there in the middle of nowhere, literally. It was literally in the middle of two miles off the end of the road, a dirt path and, and a little tiny cabin. And it was a, an amazing experience. Amazing. That was a lot. That's, that was what Alaska was like for me at first, you know, living off the grid and just experiencing that. Because we had talked about that kind of thing. You guys lived in Maine. Joseph came from a little place up in Maine. You know, everybody's yeah. tried it, it seems like. But yeah. And in fact, my inspiration for Alaska was, aside from my, as a youth, being interested in hunting and, and what reading these outdoor life magazines and stuff, was John McPhee's book coming into the country, which I read in Carol's little cabin there in Freedom, Maine, yeah. back when we lived together back there. In the, I read that book and I thought, wow, oh yeah, I got to go there. <laughs> <laughs> the power of literature and especially John McPhee. Well, it sounds like you enjoy talking to people. I'm glad that we've been able to talk together and learn. Oh, I, enjoy, I, I, I enjoy talking with people. Uh, that's, 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 pretty obvious i guess and it's been great talking with you guys too really yeah, we good. hope you'll come back and talk with us some more dave this is this oh, has been come, fun. On. I, come on if you tell me oh dave we want to have you you'll you can have me don't worry about it <laughs> all right, all right. I hope, I, best of luck with the with the oldish podcast i hope it goes over big time and and it was great meeting you greg great seeing you after all these years it's just astounding i mean yeah, it's you know. been fun you know it's actually 40 years since, since i know we've seen each other it, and it was like last <laughs> tuesday <laughs> <laughs> okay be good guys thanks okay. you too. thanks Dave. really fun all right take care bye-bye Bye. Bye-bye. Yep. that's it for now thanks to dave for joining us today you can find links to some of dave's photographs and to open street map in the show notes, as well as to Janet and Greg's websites. You can support our podcast and the fight against Duchenne muscular dystrophy by buying an Everest to End Duchenne t-shirt or commemorative flag 
or one or more of the books Greg has written at Greg's website. Tune in next week when we present the second half of our conversation with Chris Balch about his adventures in oldish activism. We had such an interesting time talking with Chris about oldish adventuring for a cause. We kept on talking and have a whole other episode about his engagement with oldish political and environmental activism. How is it different now compared to the 60s and 70s? How does it feel that after all these years we still have to stand up for what we think is right? Give a listen to find out next week. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. If you'd like to hear more, check out our other episodes, follow us wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts, and come back weekly. And please leave a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts.